Okay, welcome back to the Girl at the Game podcast. As always, I'm your host, Gabrielle, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Al. Al, what are you doing right now? I just ate a piece of banana bread, and I'm sitting on my floor stretching because I ran more (laughs) today than I have since I was probably in high school running track. So I'm, I know I'm going to be feeling it tomorrow. So I'm like sprawled out on my floor stretching. Yes. Al went running today. I ate an entire piece of chocolate cake and some jello. So we are not the same, but we are here. We're recording. We're trying to survive. We are social distancing and we are missing our sports. But this episode is all about the last dance. We decided that we were going to wait until halfway through so that we could really dive into the last dance without doing too many individual episodes about this incredible Michael Jordan phenomenon that has been keeping us all going without sports. And so we're now six episodes in. Yeah, we had five and six this Sunday. So let's talk about it. Yeah, so I love that they gave us Kobe right off the bat, pretty much. I loved it too, but the only thing I'll say is that we knew last week that the Kobe stuff was coming, and we knew that we weren't going to be prepared for it emotionally, but the fact that he shows up within like the first minute and that the episode was dedicated to him, I was like, oh, okay, so it's just going to hurt. It just hit you right out of the gate. It did, but I personally wish they harpered on it a little more. Yeah. Like I had heard that quote before of Michael Jordan saying, if I was in my prime, I could come play with any of these guys and beat them. Like, except maybe Kobe, because he just copies all my moves. You knew how much respect the two of them had for each other. And maybe they will touch on it a little more, but I don't know. And Kobe said it too. He's like, I don't have any of these championships without MJ. Yeah. So that was really great to see right off the bat, regardless. I also thought it was so interesting all the Kobe scenes where he's so young and he joined the NBA like Kevin Garnett straight out of high school, just went into the NBA, which is something that you can't do anymore. And he's so young at a time when the NBA was like an older player's game, which is not really the case anymore. And for most sports, there's just such a priority placed on youth in baseball. The minute a player's 30 years old, people are talking about how they're going to start declining. So for Kobe, he's talking about how hard it was for him to kind of be taken seriously at first, which is crazy given how we know Kobe now. But the older guys are talking about him before the All-Star game too, and he's a rookie. He had them shook. He rattled their cages. He rattled Jordan's cage a little bit. You know, he plays it off all confident, but it's like this young kid. He's like 18, 19 years old, and he's just like they knew that there was something special there. Yeah, and to have the respect that he got from Jordan like right off the bat just because of how hard he went at them every game. 19 years old, there's something to be said about that. And like like you were saying, then it was such an older league we saw in the documentary. But like today, that's so standard. Like you have guys like Tatum and Ben Simmons and Jalen Brown coming in and they're so young and they're making an impact. And to see Kobe going at it with guys like that, veteran players at that time, when the league was so star-studded with talent, like, it's just RIP. People were saying this all over Twitter last night. It's like the the event of the season is everyone tunes in together for the last dance every Sunday night. All these people online, and Mike and I both also said this, we're like, we're just never going to accept that Kobe's gone. Like, watching the interviews of him from a year or two ago when they were making this documentary and he's talking about what it was like. And you see him basically at the age that he 
will be forever now that he's gone. It just doesn't seem real that Kobe's not here. And his daughter's birthday, Gigi's 14th birthday would have been this past week. It's just the whole thing is just always going to be unfathomable. I know. I actually wrote about Fornessen the other day, just on Gigi's birthday, about how like her and Kobe really seemed like they were poised to like eventually just take over the WNBA and just totally take it to another level. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm so sad for the WNBA that they don't have Kobe as their champion now because, I mean, we know how much the WNBA is just ignored and underappreciated. The athletes are underpaid, especially compared to the NBA. And he really had made it such a mission of his in his retirement and even before he retired to champion female athletes in the WNBA and in other sports as well. You know, like with uh, the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team, he also was just such a big fan of theirs. And Gigi, I think, was a huge part of that because she wanted to play for UConn women's basketball, which is one of the best teams. Is. <laughs> and that's coming from someone that grew up in Western Mass and would go down to UConn women's games pretty frequently. It wasn't too far to take a ride. And also coming from someone who just has a brain and can see that it's by hands down the best program in sports, if not just women's basketball. They're so damn good. You know, I go to a lot of UConn games. My first UConn women's basketball game this year was against Sabrina Ionescu and the Ducks. Oh, you're so lucky. So it was the first time the women lost at UConn, the first time in like but that's, 10 years or something, still, because they lost to the only team maybe that's better than them. Yeah, honestly, you can't even get mad at that. That girl no. is the GOAT. Another Kobe mentee, which only proves our point. This was a pretty cool episode, too. You saw like all the shoe deal stuff behind the scenes, which was like Adidas just historically not having their shit together. Someone tweeted how they listed like all these athletes, including Jordan, that Adidas passed on. Yeah, Kobe. And they were like, LeBron. but it, Kobe yeah. refers to Adidas to this day as the other company when talking about I forget <laughs> which rendition of his sneaker, but um, pretty horrid. And he refers to Adidas as the other company. Yeah. And then the tweet went on to be like, but at least they have Kanye with one of those like disgusted face emojis. <laughs> and I just thought that was great. But shout out to Jordan's mom making him take that call, take that meeting. And you know that moms around the country and around the world watching that turn to their kids and were like, see, that's why you always listen to your mother. Speaking of this tangent we get off on about Kobe and like as always kids like one interesting thing we want to talk about is just like no mention of Michael Jordan's wife and kids or family life like other than his parents kind of like growing up and like guiding him in endorsement deals. Yeah, it's really weird, especially because last week, the episodes, you had some Carmen Electra interviews because she was dating Dennis Rodman. But for the most part, there have not been a lot of women in these documentaries in general, which is confusing because there are some great women who covered this era of sports for starters. But also, Jordan was married and had kids. And there has not been a single mention of his family life. And I understand it's about sports, but you're talking about other people in the documentary's personal lives, but you're not talking about his and he's the star. And that's kind of been, it's kind of been weird to me. Yeah, I'd be interested to learn why that is. And like, that's not to say we won't get it 
eventually. I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot more about his family in the episode or when they get into the murder of his father. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, TBD, I guess. But like also at the same time, it's showing like a pretty dark side of him this past episode. Not a dark side of it because he just liked to gamble. Like he, I think I really do believe him that he's just that competitive of a person that like he absolutely craves like competition at all hours of the day. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Jordan has an off button and everyone who played with him or was friends with him has kind of said the same thing that like. He just was always competing. And he says, he says, I don't have a gambling problem. I have a competition problem. And on the one hand, you know, you kind of look at that and you're like, really? (laughs) You're gambling like hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's the kind of money that like could sustain a family for, you know, a year or two, probably more. He wipes his butt with that. But at the same time, like, are we not just jealous that like he's able to do that kind of crazy stuff and it not be like a problem, but actually just be like something he's able to do? Yeah. I mean, everyone has their thing they spend money on, right? Like for me, it's vintage Red Sox stuff. For me, it's <laughs> just my Marshall's TJ Maxx home goods credit card bill. So I can't wait for us to be able to not social distance and do girl at the game vlogs while we roam the aisles at TJ Maxx and Marshall's. Yeah, there I has to be can't. some kind of market that will be weirdly fascinated by that. I'm going to make a video to show you guys all the decorating I've done. Also, you're going to take me to Costco for the first time in my entire life. We'll go eventually. Getting back into MJ. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) as usual, we are off topic. Um, But side note, one of the things I think is so interesting about the documentary series so far is that it's not fully chronological. Like they're going back and forth. And we saw that especially this week when they would show the little timelines and rewind, like they showed his sneakers from the All-Star game, which were his original pair that he wore the first time he played in Madison Square. Yeah, the Jordan ones. Like, honestly, looking back at it, I mean, we were pretty young. But those shoes, like, I really was, like, noticing them for the first time. I'm not a huge sneaker person, but, like, I can appreciate how fresh those were. I have one pair of Jordans. My feet are so small, I wear kid size Nikes. So I save like 40 bucks a pair because the kid sizes are so much cheaper. But I was looking at those sneakers and then I just fell into a black hole of just pictures of different kinds of Jordans on Pinterest. I was in that hole for like an hour, just like looking at different sneakers from his lines for over the years. But it's kind of crazy. Like I, I couldn't tell. Do you think it's good marketing for Nike or bad marketing for Nike that he's like, yeah, my shoes were full of blood? Because it's like on the one hand, they're the shoes Jordan wore. On the other hand, he just told the entire world that his shoes filled up with blood. Well, I think that was more just like him talking about the innovation of the basketball sneaker. Like when he came out with that sneaker, like the NBA was still wearing Converse's. And like you have Jason Tatum out there wearing like these shoes that like automatically like tighten to his foot. And it's like, what's going on out here? Isn't that the Back to the Future 2 technology? Yeah, I think it was. So it's like how much of it was just like innovation. He wasn't used to wearing them. And then also keeping it with sneakers like Adidas, just like the ultimate fumble. Like They've probably literally been kicking themselves for the last 30 years. To have Michael Jordan also just saying like, I wanted to go with Adidas, but they did not have their shit together. And it's funny, too, because like I think it was either Magic and Larry or just Magic 
who said that when he was, you know, in his prime and he was getting sneaker offers, Nike was like, you know, kind of this like tiny company, like upstart, whatever. And Converse obviously was the shoe that all the NBA players wore. And so Nike said, you know, if you come with us, like we'll pay you like a very small amount of money, but we'll also give you a ton of stock options. And Converse said, we'll just give you like a ton of money up front to have a shoe with us. And so he went with Converse. And he says like he's still kicking himself to this day because the amount of stock he would have had in Nike, he'd be like a multi-billionaire, especially once Jordan came on the scene. Yeah, Jordan's revenue, like he's a billionaire because of the Jordan brand. Yeah, but speaking of magic, just to like go off MJ for a second, because one of the best things that we're seeing from this documentary is all of the incredible characters from these stories that are interviewed and featured like we're getting such a Jordan nostalgia in these episodes but we're also getting like we're getting Larry Bird we're getting Magic Kobe Phil Jackson Dennis Rodman before he became known as like the friend of the North Korean dictator like (laughs) Dennis Rodman the basketball players but like what are you gonna do like if Jordan were to be like yo come be in my documentary you're not going to say no you're it's like well, the, no, of the greatest privileges of your life no of course but my my point for the magic thing is that J.A. Adande, I definitely didn't pronounce his name right, um, who is the director of sports journalism at the Medill School of Journalism Media Integrated Marketing Communications at Northwestern and that is quite a mouthful for a journalism school he had a tweet last night talking about the fact that the documentary totally glosses over the fact that they go from Magic playing against Jordan in the 91 finals to working the 92 finals for NBC with no mention of the like what he calls the monumental event that happened in between, which of course is Magic announcing that he's HIV positive and retiring for the first time. Because um, he did, of course, unretire and like come back briefly a couple times. But he was in the booth for NBC in 92, still looking super young to the point where I had to go and double check that he was in fact already retired because of his diagnosis and not because he just wasn't playing in the finals and they just wanted him, like they just thought it would be cool to have Magic Johnson in the booth. Um, And obviously this isn't, like this is a Jordan documentary. This isn't a Magic Johnson documentary, which I think would also be a fascinating premise for, you know, like a, a couple hours of magic johnson stuff but i do think it's crazy that they did totally gloss over that the same way we just haven't you know jordan married his first wife in 1989 and we have not heard a single word about his entire family life either they're just kind of skipping over these things that i mean i'm sure we'll get more family stuff in future episodes like you said with his dad being murdered but it is kind of crazy that they have footage of magic johnson covering the 92 finals and just not a word about him being HIV positive or anything. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, like, obviously, it's hard to comment bef- until we see all the episodes. And I just want to be able to just binge it outright. So then I can just come out with like, an opinion. But I will say that, like, ESPN has done a masterful job, I think, with editing and timeline of telling the story in general. Like, those highlight montages with the hip-hop throwbacks, like, masterfully edited. They're so good and, like, also made me realize how trash hip-hop is today. But that's another story. Yeah. Maybe everything was just better back then. 
So what did you think about all the touching in the second episode that aired Sunday about his activism or like lack thereof? I mean, for starters, it's a di- it was a different world back then. Obviously, you know, people should stand up for what they believe in. And if you have a platform, I believe that you should use it to point out injustices and do the right thing. Like Ted Williams famously, when he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, he used his speech to advocate for Negro League players being inducted in the Hall of Fame because he recognized that it was an opportunity to try and make a difference. That being said, not everyone is an expert on everything. and Not everyone is super educated on the many issues that are plaguing our world right now and back then. But I do think it's totally within everybody's rights, um, especially athletes with a platform, to come out and say, I'm not an expert in this, but we should all just be better people or this is wrong. And that's totally okay. You don't have to be, you know, a PhD or like an educated scholar to be able to use your platform to try and make the world a better place. Jordan's totally within his rights to say he wasn't an activist. He wasn't. He was an athlete. Nowadays, people don't really allow for that. There's obviously also the stick to sports crowd that loves to uh, tell athletes to shut up as if they're not real human beings. But, you know, he didn't have to be an activist. I think it also is important for people to recognize when they are in such a position, the immense power that they have. See, and that's why like, I kind of appreciate him being like, I mean, whether it was to sell sneakers or because he saw like the platform he had and didn't feel comfortable speaking about that politician he didn't actually know or like kind of getting into topics he wasn't completely educated in like even when you agree with them sometimes there's nothing worse than just like the richest of the rich telling you how to vote when like they don't necessarily see middle class struggles i guess in the case of Jordan and a lot of athletes, it's different because they do come from nothing. So it gives them more of a base for their activism. But like, I can totally appreciate when someone is like, you know what, I'm not going to talk about stuff. I don't know what like a damn about. So like, I'm not going to try to like influence a bunch of people in the wrong way. Not saying that that politician that Jordan didn't endorse was like a bad dude or like needed like a lot of vetting by Jordan. I don't know really anything about him, but I can appreciate like an athlete of his stature, like where really like so much of what he cares about and puts his focus into is basketball. Just being like, listen, I don't have time to talk about this stuff and be an activist. I think one of the things I've realized is that we think of athletes a lot as not real people. We just think of them as athletes. And I'm certainly guilty of that in the past. I've been super critical of players on the Red Sox and basically the entire bullpen. And then when I stop to think about it, I feel terrible because they are real people. But I just think you're going to be criticized either way. And that's clearly like the Jordan thing was he was just in the spotlight. If he was just like a total teetotaling, boring guy, then people would have been like, what's wrong with this guy? He's a superstar athlete and he's not, you know, out enjoying it and partying and having fun. Like there must be something wrong with him. He must have something he's hiding. And if he was out partying or gambling or whatever, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, and I guess uh, we've harpered a lot on The Last Dance at this point. Of course, looking forward to next week, but let's transition out of this. But first, which bloody sock game was better? Jordan's wearing his throwback Jordan 1s or the shilling bloody sock game? 
Well, you know, on a human level, I'm going MJ because, you know, Schilling has just become such a disappointing figure as a person. In terms of the meaning of the Bloody Sock game, I'm going 04 Red Sox. And unfortunately, that means Schilling just because what he went through in order to bring a championship to this city after 86 years was so insane. Like they literally sutured his tendon so that it wouldn't move around. They did like crazy, basically like army surgery on him. And it was in coming order for him to be able to while he was on the mound. <laughs> yeah. And then people like had the nerve to be like, oh, it's ketchup, which is like, what? are you kidding? I, uh, no one would go through that. Kurt Schilling, whatever he's up to these days, will never make me say that that was the bloody sock game. What it meant and like how gutsy it was. Yeah. And I love the symbolism of MJ wanting to wear his original MSG shoes in that game. Like, I love that he wanted to do that and that he was like crazy enough to keep playing in them for the whole game. But that was like, a choice you know he could have just like worn any shoe he wanted he just wanted to do something meaningful and awesome and that's it's so cool that he did it but Kershling risked permanently destroying his foot to pitch for the Red Sox like you just like I love that people made the joke on Twitter like that was so funny especially because Twitter wasn't around for either of those games but it's really funny that people made baseball comparisons during a basketball documentary I don't know if it's because of the bloody sock comparisons or just because baseball writers have nothing else to talk about, but somebody at Sports Illustrated wrote an article arguing that they should make a version of The Last Dance, but about the 2009 Yankees and the core four. And it was such a ridiculous premise that I was going to do a whole Twitter thread ranting about it, but then I figured better to just talk about it on this pod. Basically, this guy, Max Goodman, wrote a thing saying that 10-part documentary miniseries about The Last Dance would also be a compelling thing to do about the 09 Yankees. And part of the reason that he argues that is just because technologically that's the most recent Yankees championship. Multiple problems with his argument, first of all being that Michael Jordan is universal and the Yankees aren't. Aside from the fact that tourists buy Yankees caps more than almost any souvenir on the planet, the Yankees are actually a very disliked franchise by most baseball fans, and baseball isn't as liked as basketball. That's the unfortunate truth. Yeah, that's the thing at the end of the day. Like, I know you're the baseball girl on this podcast, and I do love myself a good baseball game, and I love the sport, but you know the NBA is my number one. And I just think in, ter- in terms of really everything it does, it's just a superior product. It's unfortunate, too, because a thing like this would be great for baseball, but you can't make it about the Yankees. It's just not going to be enjoyable. Four days in October. ESPN already made it. (laughs) Yeah. Plus, he tries to compare Derek Jeter to Michael Jordan. He literally says Derek Jeter's celebrity in the Big Apple rivals Jordan's status as he ascended to greatness in the Windy City. Jeter is so vanilla. It would be the supporting characters that would carry that documentary, not Jeter. It would be like your Mariano. Yeah, for sure. Or like your A-Rods. Yeah, and the funny thing is the Yankees' three-peat overlaps with the Bulls' second three-peat. So that's actually kind of a compelling comparison, except that he literally tries to make it about Jeter. And somebody, funnily enough, responded to my little quip about it, saying the only thing they have in common is that their last names both start with J. Um, (laughs) I love that. 
But I mean, there are so many just run like pretty crappy sports franchises. Oh, maybe we're talking ourselves into this right now. We might be. No, but Mariano is a much more compelling um, focus. I still don't think that you could make a 10 part docuseries about Mariano Rivera. How much interest is there? You know, like Yankees fans have really just Yankees fans. DVDs. Like who's out there saying, what does the world need right now? New York Yankees content. Also, a lot of Yankees fans don't actually care about history further than being able to say they have 27 championships. Yeah. (laughs) And you know that to be true because the amount of Yankees fans who have 27 rings in their Twitter bios, not realizing that the first World Series the Yankees ever won, they didn't get World Series rings. They got pocket watches. So it's actually 26 rings in a pocket watch. But Yankees fans don't actually know that about their own team. (laughs) Who would be the Dennis Rodman of the Yankees in that scenario? Is it A-Rod? Um, I guess it would be A-Rod just because he's the one with the most controversy. Like, it's baseball. There's no equivalent of Dennis Rodman ever in any sport. NBA yeah. is the only sport really that would allow a player to be like that. It's pretty crazy. I t- also, side note, would totally watch a movie of, I mean, I guess it's kind of like what that Get Him to the Greek movie was with Jonah Hill and uh, what's his name? Katy Perry's ex-husband. Yes, the British man with the, the hair. British man. Also in Forgetting Sarah I want to call him, I want to call him Aldous Snow, but that's the Forgetting it Sarah is, Marshall did you know? Okay, so side note, the there's a... <laughs> There's a soundtrack to get him to the Greek. All those Aldous Snow songs exist on a Spotify playlist. And like, I found myself just listening to them the other day. I love that. And you need to send that to me. But yeah, Dennis Rodman. Also, the uh, I would totally watch like a buddy cop movie with Michael Jordan and Spike Lee. Oh, I saw you tweet that. I love that. Yeah, I know. Spike Wouldn't that be Lee great? such a fun part of that documentary. Also really funny because somebody brought up the fact that after that whole thing that happened, with him and the Knicks at MSG this year, because he's like a season ticket holder. Um, that whole thing about which entrance he goes in, someone joked. They were like, wow, Spike Lee really came through on his promise not to attend another Knicks game this year. Yeah. <laughs> the poor Knicks, too. Uh, the Someone who felt the need to uh, remind everyone that the Knicks have been in the playoffs every year in the 90s, but they haven't won a championship since 1973. Yeah, I mean... James Dolan, you know? Between the Will Ponds and James Dolan. All right. So um, I have a segment idea. It's called Updates on Non-Updates because that's really all we have right now in sports media. So basically every day it seems like news is coming out of talks of what different leagues are doing to come back or whatever. But today you had a lot of that a little while ago. Shams from The Athletic reporting that the NBA is planning for its return and what it's going to look like is 30 to 40 essential staffers and close family of players playing in either Las Vegas or our fan favorite Disney World. Those are the two kind of top locations being discussed. And a White House official apparently told Shams that the government's willing to help the NBA and these sports leagues make a return for the 16-page memo sent to teams. May 8th, their facilities are supposed to open up. Things are looking good for the NBA, I guess. Who knows what the timeline will be when we actually have games, but makes a lot of sense. And it looks like the questions being answered that we had from last week's episode of are players going to have to leave their families behind or will they get to go along to Disney World? 
Oh my God. If they don't let families go along to Disney World, they're just defeating the entire purpose of Disney World. I mean, it's the happiest place on earth. So you're going to tell NBA players they can't bring their kids to the happiest place on earth, which is going to make them super sad. Yeah. In closer news, the Bundesliga, which is a German professional soccer league, which was supposed to be the first team sport, if I'm not mistaken, to come back this month, just found 10 players to have coronavirus after they did blanket testing over the league. So it'll be interesting to see if they just make those players quarantine and continue to roll out with their original plans or if this throws a wrench in their plans now. So um, we'll see what happens there. Did you see the MLB news on the return? I did. And um, I have to say, I'm confused because last week we talked about MLB having a proposed plan that would have teams coming back and playing without fans in their own ballparks at the end of June, no later than July 2nd. And a former MLB third baseman, Trevor Plouffe, who played for the Twins and the A's, the Rays and the Phillies, he came out and tweeted today, Want to hear some good baseball news? I just heard from multiple sources that June 10th, spring training two will start. July 1st will be opening day and all teams will be playing at their home ballparks. We'll be discussing it in full on the next Talkin' Baseball, which is one of the shows from John Boy, the guy who was one of the main Twitter personalities uncovering the Astros cheating scandal back in the fall. But then Keith Law, who is more credible, had the unfortunate downer of saying that that wasn't actually true at all and that um there's he said there's no proposed date for the mlb season to start that rumor running around today is false sorry so thank you for confirming but also keith major buzzkill yeah that is a buzzkill although all the reports i saw today said that the nba wants to have a plan in place that they'll announce like towards the end of May. I saw some reports about an 80-game abbreviated schedule and then keeping with that plan of starting the season with the rearranged divisions, keeping players in their own ballparks, just because, again, like quarantining players without their families and in locations that aren't their home is just like a lot to ask of these guys. Yeah, definitely. And it was pretty funny. The Trevor Plouffe's tweet got some crazy responses, including somebody saying, how are all teams going to have opening day on July 1st if they are all playing in their own ballparks? And it's like, well, they're going to play each other. So they're not all going to be in their same ballparks at the same time. It's just about opening ballparks back up. But the thing that I still can't wrap my head around, and obviously this isn't the main issue of baseball coming back, but how are you going to have players social distancing from each other in baseball and also have infielders tag runners out on the bases? You can't tag someone out from six feet apart. Yeah, well, that's why players will have to be tested on a weekly basis and that if any of them have covid they just need to go quarantine for two weeks. You can't have these guys. They'll they'll have to be testing these guys before they let them out there. It's just at a certain point, it's kind of how much, what are we willing to do? And what are these players willing to do in order to bring baseball back to a point where does baseball even look like baseball? None of us want to not have baseball until next February. But at the same time, we also want our players who we love to be safe and healthy. For sure. Although... I'm very much subscribing to the fact that like if I were a pro athlete, I think I totally would be willing to bite any bullet and bring it back like as a civic duty to the nation. But I also differently if I had a family. 
I don't. Well, I have like an, a family, but like not like a husband and children. But I don't know. I feel like I would really want to be part of restarting the economy and obviously within safety measures. I mean, the thing is that we've talked about this a couple of times, both on and off the pod, that the biggest thing is that people should be able to be with their families and be with their loved ones. You can't ask a player to abandon their family for the game of baseball. What MLB really needs to do in this case, and unfortunately they can't do the Disney World thing the NBA should do, MLB needs to figure out a way for baseball to come back, but with players being able to be with their families. Like Brock Holt went to the Brewers last minute, and so he's back in Massachusetts with his pregnant wife and son because that's where they were still living. And so like, how's he going to be in Milwaukee when his pregnant wife is in Boston? You can't ask that of people at this time. This is the time when we need our loved ones the most. Yeah, that's why I think keeping these guys at their own ballpark is the way to go. More news breaking as we're recording is Shams talking about the NBA more seriously considering a Christmas Day start to the season, which like, again, we talked about this last week, and I, I think we talked about this last week, my idea that like the NBA should just like permanently start on Christmas and not compete with football as much and take advantage of playing into the summer when really nothing's going on but the dog days of baseball. So it looks like the NBA is really considering all measures to come back, which tells me they're pretty serious. I personally would love Christmas baseball. I mean, it doesn't work for a place like Fenway Park because there's no retractable roof. Well, when they I were talked- talking about fitting in all the games, I really thought we were going to have to do like New Year's Eve baseball at a neutral Floridian location in a dome or something. <laughs> there are some very catty people on Twitter who have joked that it's the only way the Marlins are going to be in the postseason. <laughs> Okay, so that was updates on non-updates. I'm sure we're going to have a few of those for you guys for every show. And I hope you like this format. We're not always going to have guests on all the time, but next week we're going to kind of get back into the rhythm of that. We're going to have on Angelique Fisk, who I'm very excited about. She's actually the editor, the lifestyle editor of Patriots.com. And I went to high school with her and we wrote for the same high school paper. She was a senior when I was a freshman. We were in student council together and she's been not only an awesome influence for me growing up, but she's so kick-ass and we hope to give you guys some really cool insight to the inside workings of the Patriots and we'll talk some draft stuff and she'll be a great person to talk to because I've covered quite a few Patriots games and it's a tight ship they run with media, but she gets just as much access, if not more access than anyone I know to that team. So it'll be really cool to pick her brain with you guys. I'm so excited, especially now that I'm a football girl. Yes. Love it. (laughs) My dad actually said, he's like, you talked about football. He couldn't believe it. Oh, I love that. I haven't told my dad I have a podcast yet. Well, you're going to have to tell him soon because remember, we're going to have our dads on for Father's Day. I don't know what a podcast is, so it'll be fun. Well, he better better learn fast. (laughs) But anyway, my football novice-ness, definitely not a word aside, I'm super excited for us to have Angelique on. And not to worry, we are also going to be having some incredible male guests on the show starting very soon. We are actually recording with a superstar guest tomorrow. We can't tell you who it is yet, but I will give you a hint. 
He was on the 2004 Red Sox. So you won't want to miss that one. And I think that's pretty much all we've got for this episode, right, Al? Yeah, this was fun. I liked just kind of like shooting the shit. Yeah, well, you and I do this for hours on the phone. So I think we might as well turn some of it into a podcast episode or two. For sure. So guys, we can't wait to see you next episode. Happy to be doing two a week this week. And like, subscribe, download, and follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at Girl at the Game. And fun fact, about an hour after our second episode last week with Anna Horford dropped, Girl at the Game finally got on Apple Podcasts. So you can now listen to us on Apple, Spotify, Deezer, Public Radio. We're basically everywhere. You can find us also on girlatthegame.com. There's a whole page dedicated just to the links for where you can listen to the podcast. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And we will talk to you very soon. And now we will send you guys out with this week's throwback. This little number from Mary J. Blige.